Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast from a very rainy Roland Garros. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph and once again alongside The Telegraph's tennis correspondent, Simon Briggs. Simon, it's a bit miserable today, isn't it? We've, uh, we're about two hours hence of play being completely abandoned for the day. The tournament organisers having looked at what was a pretty apocalyptic weather forecast here in Paris. We should paint the picture that we're now huddling in a uh, in a room with a ceiling which is about three foot high, isn't it? This is interview room four in the Roland Garros press centre, which is kind of where the uh, the waste and strays who, who only two people want to talk to get get shunted out to. It's the more intimate interview setting. No windows. There's a few kind of ventilation shafts. So yeah, we're we're, we're living the life. We certainly are in, uh, I mean, I, I cannot stress enough just how miserable it is in Paris today. It is about as miserable as weather can get. And we're not going to see any tennis. The schedule for tomorrow has come out and weather permitting, there will be lots of tennis because all of the backlog matches and all of the quarterfinals that would have been scheduled tomorrow are scheduled to go ahead. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I worked out 12 men and 12 women uh, uh, due to take the court tomorrow. And that's that's all but two of the players who are still in the tournament because um, Muguruza and Shelby Rogers, uh, they are through to the quarterfinal, which is not scheduled till Wednesday. So then they're not on the schedule. Everybody else is. So if you had a gambler's instinct, you might think, well, I'll show up and I'll get a ground pass because it could be a fantastic day to see all sorts of players who wouldn't normally be necessarily available. Maybe on court one, you get a few people who are normally on the on the show court. So uh, the downside is that the forecast is uh, for it to go wet again. I think there might be a four-hour dry period, so 12 till four, but uh, we're always guessing, obviously, because... Well, I had rumours of a dry period today that never materialised right. as well. So, uh, But it, better to be optimistic, Simon. I hear the weather forecast for next Monday is just glorious, though. So uh, maybe we'll have a third week of the tournament. Uh, you mentioned Magaritha there. That's probably a good place to start because she's looked 
fantastic. And now she's the beneficiary of having been one of the earliest qualifiers for the quarterfinals. And it, it's looking pretty great for her, isn't it, this tournament? And she's quarterfinalist here three years consecutively now. So she's really building up some consistency in the slams and obviously particularly here. Yeah, so she's got Shelby Rogers. Now, that's an interesting one because um, all the expectation will be on Muguruza. She hasn't always necessarily dealt with being the, the massive favourite brilliantly. Um, and Rogers has been a revelation in this tournament. I don't think any, any of the Americans thought that they'd be getting a sort of an unexpected uh, quarter-finalist um, from that direction. They, they, were, they were looking for the Williams... It's interesting, isn't it? The Williams aside, the Americans have become so used to low expectations in tennis tournaments of late. And yet here comes Shelby Rogers and she's she's winning people over left, right and centre, isn't she? Yeah, I suppose she's had that kind of very um, sort of untutored style. She just doesn't seem like she's media trained. She seems like she's a real sort of person out there, breath of fresh air. Um, we see that occasionally with people who come on late runs who've... Timia Baczynski is another one of them, isn't she? Who, who's had a life outside tennis. Uh, um, so they can sometimes be more uh, engaging, maybe, than, than the sort of career athlete who's been destined for, for, for stardom from an early age. Um, and it's, it's a story that's had a lot of twists and turns, Rogers, but it'd be a good one to write if she keeps on going. Absolutely, very interesting. Her sister is a psychologist and she's been working with her quite closely, obviously in an unofficial capacity to to try and build the mental side of the game. She is, she's a fantastic character and a really good story, but 108 in the world and, and it's a fantastic opportunity for Margaretha to make the semis and possibly into the finals. Serena Williams remains the favourite though, doesn't she? Yeah, and uh, she's been definitely playing solidly without necessarily really catching fire thus far. Alina Svitolina in the next round. There's an interesting subplot there, I suppose, with Svitolina having Justine Henna as a as a consultant coach. She also has a British head coach in Ian Hughes. And obviously the Williams-Henna matches of the late 2000s were some of the best women's tennis of that decade, um, particularly here, uh, where Henna won three consecutive titles. And Svitolina seeded 18, uh, continues to... It's a little bit, little bit like the, the sort of Milos Raonic of the, of the women's game in, the, in that she, she, she really invests in her preparation. She seems to have a, a terrific work ethic. I think you know, what Raonic is doing with McEnroe by bringing him into his coaching team, that, that shows a player who's prepared to invest and prepared to look for different tricks that they can bring to their game. And Svitolina also has that kind of that ambition, and she has been climbing steadily and, and continues to look good. Well, you've led me on nicely to one of the biggest stories of a week of many, many big stories in, in the men's side. We'll, of course, move on to talk about Rafa in a minute. But seeing as you've mentioned Raonic and McEnroe Raonic, she's actually now out of the tournament, a really, really gutting, I'd imagine, loss for him to Albert Ramos, Ramos Vinolas yesterday. But we do now know that he has brought John McEnroe into his team for the grass court season alongside Carlos Moyer. Uh, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Very, very interesting. McEnroe jumped the gun, couldn't couldn't keep it a secret any longer and announced the relationship yeah. during his Eurosport commentary. I guess that's just something the Ranich is going to have to get used to. You know, McEnroe can't 
can't be controlled, I suppose, but uh, it certainly creates a lot of intrigue for us people that write and talk about tennis, doesn't it? Well, I, I know that um, McEnroe has often been suggested as a potential head coach for Andy Murray, perhaps on the basis that there's a lot of similarities in the way that they they, they, they are so full of rage on the court. In that particular dimension, he couldn't be much more different from Raonic, who is the uh, the model of uh, impassivity out there. He... he he often looks uh, as if his, his face is sort of incapable of movement while he's playing tennis. And you wouldn't know from looking at him whether he's winning or losing. And I think also when he when he comes in to talk to us, it's often quite difficult. He didn't seem all that crestfallen after losing to uh, Albert Ramos Vinolos, even though that was a you know, disappointing win in terms of rankings. Um, he said that he's been losing a little bit of confidence in, in his original plan this year, which was to try and play more from the net. He felt he did it well in Australia, where he reached the semi-final before sort of tweaking um, a hit muscle against Murray in the semi-final and not being able to play at full capacity. And since then, he's sort of lost his way a bit with his positioning, feels like he's not maximising his his skills at the net. And that that's obviously a good starting point for hiring McEnroe, who's... Uh, been saying, I think a lot of observers have been saying for years, why doesn't Raonic come in behind the serve more? Because it's probably one of the top three serves in the game. And he's un- maybe unlike Karlovic and Isner, you feel that he's also got the explosive movement to get up to the net quickly enough to, to be a serve volleyer on grass at least. What do you think Carlos Moyer will make of this appointment? Do you think his nose will be out of joint at all? I was in Milos Ranch's press conference yesterday and he said he was asked pretty much about how it's all going to work with the various different coaches. And he said, look, at the end of the day, I'm CEO of Milos Raonic incorporated on the court. And I consider all these people consultants. And then he will be the one to make the ultimate decisions about tactics. Do you think that's sort of all very well in theory, thinking that's how it's going to work out? But perhaps in practice, having all those voices might be difficult. What do you think? Well, it's an interesting response because the the easy get-out would have been to say, oh, yes, Carlos is fine with it. But instead, uh, Raonic uh, sort of came over rather sort of corporate in his response. And in fact, there is a sort of touch of um, that sort of business-minded uh, approach behind everything he does. I heard a story about him at breakfast one time where they were discussing a uh, player who'd been doing fantastically well on the challenger circuit and sort of was moving towards breaking through in the top 100. And Raonic has pointed out that, yes, well, that's all very well, but you don't earn any pension pot on the Challenger Tour. Um, so he's obviously sort of a guy who thinks in terms of his business planning and he's kind of aware of the economics of the Tour. And I'm not criticising that because the guy, he's I like his ambition. I like his, his He desire. is fiercely ambitious, isn't he? And he, he, as much as, you know, he might, struggle with confidence at times in the way that all tennis players do he completely backs himself doesn't he there was he did a, an article in the in the players tribune this week what the blank we you know we just fill in fill in the blank spaces in you know uh, stock questions and one was who is the most underrated tennis player in the world and he said me <laughs> well you've got to have faith in your own ability I mean you we feel like we haven't necessarily seen quite uh, the delivery on, on, on the ability he's got. But on the other hand, you do feel that like every year he adds something new to his game. And, and bringing in Piatti was a fantastic plan because Piatti is a real kind of technical sort of tinkerer and an engineer of tennis, if you like. And last year, his backhand went from being a liability to being a, a pretty strong shot. And he, look, the guys that are in front of him are getting better as well. So it's not like he's, not, he's making huge strides to overhaul them. But 
maybe of all those guys of that generation, he's the one who seems most determined to sort of add new building blocks to his game. Yeah, he, he's certainly somebody that's going to leave no stone unturned in his career. He will make sure that he retires having maximised his potential. You do get that feeling about him. Now we must move on to talk about Rafa. It seems like a, a bit of an age ago that uh, he uh, hastily announced a press conference and then announced to the world that uh, he was pulling out of the tournament uh, with what sounds like a potentially quite problematic wrist injury. I mean, wrist injuries are rarely not problematic, are they? We know from Del Potro and Law Robson just how difficult they can be to get over. What's your assessment of the Rafael Nadal situation? Well, he's talking about coming back for Wimbledon, and I, I would have thought that would be pretty miraculous for him to be fit in time for that. I would have thought the Rio Olympics have got to be a more uh, achievable ambition. He's desperate to play those, isn't he? He's already been announced as the Spanish flag bearer. He had to miss the London Olympics where he was supposed to be the flag bearer. He is desperate to play them. Yeah, and we know that Wimbledon has not suited his game the last couple of years there. He's, he's had early exits, so there'll be a, a natural desire to try and get back for that, but I just I just can't see it happening, really. And, and he did say in the Spanish part of his press conference, I think he said that, um, you know, I, I'm aware that... that um, medical issues are not mathematics and, and for all I know I could be out for three months I mean we, we hope that that doesn't come to pass but if you rush back quickly with uh, a chronic tendon injury that is probably one of the worst things you could possibly do certainly on the on the left wrist of a man like Rafa who, whose whip as he, as he attacks the ball is probably second to nobody's What do you think of the fact that he's been playing through this injury. It's been troubling him throughout the clay court season. I remember in... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Monte Carlo, he was asked by a journalist that he'd been spotted the week before in training wearing, uh, strapping on his wrist. And he said, oh, you know, brush it off, just said I had an injection, uh, but I'm fine now. Uh, and he, he subsequently admitted that it has been troubling him throughout. Andy Murray, in his Parisian column, 
said he wasn't that surprised to hear of uh, Rafael Nadal's withdrawal because he knew that it had been troubling. What do you make of the fact that he's been playing through the injury and potentially causing longer-term damage? I mean, he's, you know, unlike Federer, I suppose, a player that should be very well used to managing injury. Yeah, I mean, the guys, they uh, they don't play without pain very often, do they, or if at all. Do you think that's it? Do you think he's just so used to playing with one pain or another and, and fighting through that he just thought, this is something that I'll fight through? Sure, and he would have had uh, medical advice that, that said, you know, that the damage isn't going to be that significant at this stage. And he played against um, Bagnus in the second round here with the benefit of an anaesthetic injection. So, you know, that was obviously... Uh, that's, uh, to some extent, it was a gamble. He said he wouldn't have done it if it had been an any ordinary tournament. But obviously, Roland Garros is uh, the, the, his heartland and his power base. So he felt that for this tournament, he ought to try. And he, he's obviously had ups and downs over the last month wi- with the way his wrist has been feeling. So he felt he was making improvements and then setbacks, which is often the way you, these things go. I mean, the one thing I do wonder with the, the, the wrist injuries that, that, that all these players are having is just how much of it is, is stress-related as well, because um, chronic tendon trouble uh you know there are some doctors who will tell you that you talk about mind and body there, there isn't really a distinction there well Alej Bedene will tell you that as well he said uh I think it was in Monte Carlo in fact he said he believes the wrist injury that he'd been suffering from caused him to pull out of Miami was almost entirely stress related we know that all the stresses that he's been going through and how much it has been affecting him and that means that if you're experiencing that, it, it becomes even harder to try and judge what the correct rehab, what the correct rest period is, is how, it, how hard to push it. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't make it any less real, does it? It just Exactly, it just affects how you manage it and try to get over it, I suppose. Yeah, we're not saying that they, these are ghost injuries because, uh, I mean, I, as, as I understand it, stress can cause inflammation quite directly. So you end up with swelling... And and uh, you know an angry part of your body, even that, though it's not an impact injury necessarily, it, it, it's actually being caused by. I mean, we all. This is going sort of beyond the the, the immediate tennis um, uh, frame of reference, but in the modern world, we all suffer from a lot more chronic injuries and, and illnesses, whether they be IBS or whatever, because we don't suffer from from high impact fatal injury illnesses like like our predecessors did it's just a, it's part of modern life so i think the when you start talking about any sort of tendonitis there's definitely a stress component evolutionary biology on the tennis podcast for the first time i'm very proud um how different uh, has the tournament felt from your perspective simon without federer without Nadal, of course without sharapova and latterly without songa as well very sad uh, retirement from him due to injury how different has it felt behind the scenes and without any play. Uh, I mean, at the moment... All the vital components of a major tennis tournament are missing just at this moment. Yeah, yeah at the moment, I think it's fair to say that the uh, 2016 French Open is not on anyone's list of the top five Grand Slams of their, of their tennis following existence. Now, this doesn't mean that it's not going to boil up into a uh, fantastic finish. I mean, that, I think with, with, with the, the clay, you do get fewer upsets because the points are longer and... You can go and grind your way out of trouble. So, 
it has been a tournament recently where you end up with the top seeds in the second week, and that means that the first week doesn't necessarily have a lot of adventure or, or, or eventfulness about it. We obviously did have those things, but they weren't they weren't necessarily happy stories, were they? With with, with the Rafa withdrawal and and even Andy's sort of um, mini uh, imbroglio with Emily was a sort of um, a little bit of a storm in a teacup, as as was the sort of the the, the five set uh, drama that he he gave us, which was certainly of interest to British readers, but it's it's a little less relevant now that we've been through a whole week and there's this extra time factor of the of the rain uh, holding everything up. So we are obviously looking at the top three men still on collision course. Um, we're looking at at Serena still grinding on in the top half of the draw without necessarily anybody to, to stop her. But that was the kind of case from the word go. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's very strange. You've had all of these unexpected, bizarre factors affecting the tournament, and yet the the, the eventual conclusion looks the same as it would be without all of those unexpected... You know, Djokovic, Serena, they're still the favourites. Yeah, but the difference is just that, that Novak, if he can get on court does have that great advantage now that his semi-final opponent looks like a real outsider, possibly team, um, who would be going deep. Uh, into team, or, team or Goffin, probably the favourites in that section, although never count out Ernest Gulbis. Yeah, I, th- I mean, and either of them, you'd have thought, it's going to be a much more comfortable prospect for him than, than Rafa. So we looked at the draw originally and thought, oh, Novak's got Rafa in the semi-final, you know, he's going to have to play back-to-back matches, probably against two of the top four See, well, that, 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 that comes with the territory. But Rafa's more of a threat, probably, than, than anybody at the French Open, just by, by purely with his heritage, if he's fit. So, so that's come, out of, the, that's come out, out of the equation for Novak and has made it look smoother. But then how is he going to deal with, with rain delays if he's going to have to play? If tomorrow was to, to prove really wet, he could have to play three five, best of five set matches in three days. Well, exactly. In terms of Novak Djokovic, there's the fact that the draw has very much opened up for him. But on the other side, there's the weather, which we've discussed. And also, I put to you, you might dismiss this completely. There uh, are various people I've spoken to have completely different opinions of this. Do you think there's any element that Rafa's exclusion from the equation could sort of make him panic and realise, I mean, this is his... Andy Murray aside, but his to sort of throw away now. And given what happened in the final last year, this builds the pressure on him, doesn't it? It's it's becoming, with every day that goes by, it's becoming more and more his to lose. Yeah, I, I think that there is something in that. And often said that tennis is all about staying as, as loose as possible physically. And, and we can see quite visibly when Novak stresses out. He did it against Aliaj Badenio in the... Um, the third round match when they were trying to struggle through to, to finish that one before the light closed in and he wasn't moving with, with quite his usual sort of flexibility and, 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 and his arm wasn't quite as lissom as it normally would be. So, And that was because he was desperate to protect his day off, wasn't it? Which he's now lost. So, it, you know, this all could mount the stress on him, couldn't it? All these circumstances. So he's been talking for a couple of years about how he struggled to deal with the... Uh, his desire, really, to win this tournament and how it's it's almost been too much of a focus for him and he needs to, to pull back a little bit and treat it like um, just another tournament. So will he be able to do that? I, I agree that the Rafa withdrawal does, in some ways, make that harder to, to think in those terms because it, it, some small voice in his head is going to be saying, if you can't win it this year, then, then, then when? 
Well, exactly. Um, but I'm sure that's the same voice that Roger Federer heard the year uh, he eventually went on to win the title 2009 when uh, Rafael Nadal uh, went out of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that. I'll let you go because I know you've got a piece right, and that piece presumably is looking ahead to Andy Murray against Richard Gasquet tomorrow. Now, let's just assume that the weather allows that to get on court. That's going to be good, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Gasquet looked, looked terrific against Nishikori, although it does feel like Nishikori has just got this habit of throwing in the odd subpar performance just when he seems to be really cruising along and building momentum. He just so often, with the exception of the US Open where he got to the final, there seems to be something stopping him from maybe delivering quite as much as we hope he might. So Gasquet took advantage of that very well. Uh, Andy's got a very good record against him, and particularly the fact that he's twice come back from two sets to love down against him once at Wimbledon in 2008 in a match which almost set them off on diverging paths because Andy was a lower-seeded player there, and then by the end of the year he comprehensively overtaken him and continued to, to sort of rise... In, in the world game and, and Gasquet sort of went, went walkabout a little bit after that, that match and then, and then the match made famous by the the bicep kiss yeah yeah he got his bicep out because he'd been he'd been being um, given a lot of criticism for being not quite physically fit enough after his cramping against uh, Nalbandian and, and so on and so he he came back in that five-setter and, and showed everybody just how hard he'd been training in the gym. It was, a, it was a very important moment for him because I think a lot of Andy's psychological strength is based on that feeling that I've, I've prepared perfectly. I couldn't have done any more. And that's, that's really what sustains him in these matches. Um, another match here, was it 2012, where they played in front of the crowd on Philippe Chatrier and Andy was booed to bits but absolutely loved it you know I think he I was looking at that earlier when he said it was the most fun I've had on court for ages do you so. think he'll try and provoke the crowd then do you think he'll try and recreate that sort of atmosphere in a way not that the French crowd necessarily well, need provocation yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say is that uh, he doesn't really have to I mean I think he was getting booed when he came on court against Isner wasn't he a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, actually, they, they did quite like him here, I think, in a lot of ways. That's how they express their love for somebody, with a bit of yeah. booing. Well, you never know what they're going to do next. I mean, they, they, they did a, a Mexican wave during his, his, his first set tie-break. Against... Nine all in the tie-break, yeah. perfect time for a wave. Generally, the French fans are much more knowledgeable than any fans around the world, because French people play tennis and play it incredibly well. But uh... It's very true. All of the taxi drivers that I've had this week have known absolutely everything about not just this tournament but tennis in general and that's you know usually taxi drivers that I get during Wimbledon not quite so knowledgeable in general but despite that they their behavior as a crowd is totally unpredictable isn't it but fun you know I mean they, they are they are a sort of unknown quantity you never know quite which way they're going to go next they they really they really warmed to Novak didn't they after he had that 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 final um defeat against Rafa which was very close that was uh, two years ago um, so and, and they don't. This is getting off piste a bit, but they don't love Nadal. I mean, obviously a, a section of them do, but they don't love Nadal here in the way that say they love Federer at Wimbledon. I think last year I got the feeling that they wanted a new champion. Did you get that feeling? They, they appreciate his victories, but maybe as you, as you say, that it's not as clear cut as Federer and Wimbledon for sure. But I think to go back to Andy and, 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 and Gasquet, it's going to be, as long as it's not uh, such a damn squib because the weather is so grim that no one turns up to watch, I think it's going to be a really entertaining 
match, but, but you'd think that Andy would be pretty confident and pretty happy with who he's ended up playing, probably happier than if he was playing Kai. I I would agree with that. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. We hope we hope that by the next time we catch up, Simon, there will at least have been some tennis. That's our hope for the coming days. It's going to be very interesting. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll chat soon.